Well, good morning. My name's Colin Craggs. I'm one of the small group coaches here. Wait until the end. I have the, the privilege this morning of bringing conclusion to the Beatitude series. Um, and so what we're going to do this morning, kind of three things we're going to cover. Um, one, what they all mean together as a whole, and that'll lead to the eighth and final beatitude, which is on persecution. And then Jesus' kind of summary where he talks about being persecuted for him. So good chance I'll offend at least someone. That's okay. If you're offended, just let the pastors know. <laughs> Don't have to let me know. Now, um, next slide. Here is the web... Oh, sorry, next one. Um, is the, the website of the church. If you've missed any of the sermons... Click on uh, media on the website and then click on podcasts. All the messages are there. If you haven't heard, I'd encourage you to. They're very good. The guys have done a great job. I can only speak up until now. Um, but up until now, it's been really good and worth, worth looking at. So the Beatitudes. What's happening with the Beatitudes? Well, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus begins what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, he's describing what kind of person lives in the kingdom of God. And as he unpacks that, he talks about being a person who is not anxious, who doesn't retaliate, who is given to sexual purity, who is not greedy, someone whose yes means yes. And he's talking about what kind of person, essentially himself, what he is like. And he's saying this is the kind of people we're trying to create in the kingdom of God. And it's a good kind of person. But right at the very beginning, he does these Beatitudes. And it's these Beatitudes, next slide, the eight Beatitudes. Um, and it's here that Jesus begins to talk about the Beatitudes. And they are the path of how we become that kind of person. So the Sermon on the Mount describes what kind of person Jesus would like us to become and the Beatitudes describe the path to becoming that person. And so here, here are the, the Beatitudes. So Jesus begins, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now the first word in each of these, next slide, is this word blessed. And it's such an important word. Ewan brought out beautifully. It's, it's this sense of happiness and being full of joy or joyful. And this is where Jesus begins. What kind of person are we becoming? We're becoming happy people. In the DNA of the kingdom of heaven is happiness. It's not a place where it's kind of all stoic and serious. This is a place of joy. God wants you to be happy. There is something within us that, that moves toward that. Not every faith believes that this is, this is the end goal. But for Jesus, this is it. 
this path that he has us on, and it's a difficult path, and it finishes with persecution, and we'll get there this morning, which is kind of weird, like, you know, blessed are those who get a punch in the face. Like that, that just doesn't seem to make sense. But Jesus is saying, you know what, this path, as difficult as this path is, this path leads to blessedness. It leads to you becoming the kind of person that is joyful. And that's where we begin with the Beatitudes. And it's with that sense that we go, where is the blessing in the midst of all of these things? Well, next slide. The Beatitudes are divided up into the first three and then blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and then the next three and then blessed are the persecuted. This is the path. The first half deals with us getting to a place where we hunger and thirst. So the first three are all about how do we begin with something that's a mess and get to a point where everything within us wants things to be right. And then the next three lift us up out of that and begin to fill us. And so we get to a point where we're persecuted for righteousness. Well, who? No one's going to look forward to a punch in the head, but there is blessing when we, when we get there. But this is how the Beatitudes are unpacked. Next slide. This is what it looks like. We begin with poor in spirit. What's poor in spirit? Well, poor in spirit is when we've been trying a bunch of stuff and it's not working and we come to a point where we're just sick and tired of being sick and tired. When we get tired of trying to do things that are not working. For example, when we're trying to have intimacy in our marriage through watching porn. Doesn't work. There comes a point when all the counselors are going, doesn't work, doesn't work. There comes a point where you get tired of lack of intimacy in your relationship. And then you get to a point where you're just sick and tired and sick and tired. You're not at the place where you hunger and thirst for righteousness yet, but you're tired of the way things are. Or in the workplace, you get to a point where you're tired of the compromises. You just feel like, you know, in this work environment, I keep selling a part of my soul. And when you get to that point where you just go, I've just had enough. Or you're tired of saying one thing and doing another and going, I'm just, I'm being torn apart on the inside. That leads to poverty of spirit. And when we get to the point where we're tired of being tired, then we turn around. When we get to the end of our resources, when we get to the end of trying to do our things every way but God's way, at that point, we turn around and the promise of Jesus is you have the kingdom of heaven. When you get to that point of being poor in spirit, you turn around and discover that Jesus is there and his community is there. His people are there. His resources are there and they're all there to help you. That's when we get to poor in spirit. The next step, woohoo, the next step is you cry. You mourn. And you mourn because all of a sudden, all that wasted attempts, you realize, man, that, that's just, that's sad. I've wasted my time. No drug addict, when they first kind of go, hey, I'm broken, goes, man, I feel good. No, no, no. The first step is look at the damage I've caused. 
Look at the pain I've caused. No couple who comes to a point of marriage therapy goes in the counselor's office and go, we feel good. I mean, usually the first point in the process is you get worse. And you get worse because there's regret, there's grief, there's shame, there's guilt. But the promise of Jesus is when you get to that point, you're in the kingdom of heaven and guess what? You have comfort because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And because there's no condemnation, there is comfort. You've messed up your marriage. You've messed up your life. You've done stupid things. You've done things that have hurt people. No condemnation. And so you get comfort. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. The meek are gentle people. They're open. They're teachable. They can receive. A couple of weeks ago, I went for a massage. Someone gifted me a massage. Good gift. Um, so I'm having this remedial massage. Now, who's had a massage? Okay, massages are great. You know, they're kind of they're rubbing my legs. They're very tight. They're very sore. And then they get to a point, you know, most of the leg feels fine. They come to a point and it just feels like a dagger. Raw, man. Now, does the masseuse go, oh, that seems sore. Let me move on. <laughs> no, no. They get the elbow in and screw it. It's like, oh, man. It hurts. Well, at that point, you've got two options. You can punch them. That will end the massage session. Or you take on meekness. Well, that, that's what happens when we're poor in spirit and we begin to get comfort. If the people genuinely love us, they begin to push and prod those sore bits. And those sore bits are sore. And if we're open and if we're teachable, we end up empty. We end up in a place where not only are we tired of the consequences, but we're now hungry for things to be genuinely right. That's the place we're trying to get to. When we're no longer wanting to do the right thing because I don't want bad consequences, but now I want right things because it's, it's within me. Okay, Beck's message brings that, that have to versus want to out really well. But that's when we get to that point where we're hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Then the journey begins where we begin to be filled. Jesus begins, blessed are the merciful. So, so important. You know, the reason that Jesus says, forgive others so that your Father will forgive you. Show mercy so that God will show you mercy isn't because God's holding it back. It works like this. If you've offended me over something and I can't forgive you, there's a block in my heart. Well, that, that same block that stops me from forgiving you means God can't forgive me for the same thing. If I'm not going to let you off the hook, how do I let God let me off the hook? And so it locks me in. So if we're going to be filled, we have to be merciful to others so that they can show us mercy as well. It's the only way we're going to get filled. If I'm going to forgive you 
for your affair. Well, God, now, now I'm opening myself up to be forgiven for the betrayals I've committed to God. If I'm not going to forgive you for the bad things you've said to me, how do I let God forgive me for the bad things I've said? So if we're going to be filled, if we're going to have God's mercy in our life, we have to show mercy to other people. And Jesus continues, blessed are the pure in heart. If, if Long before we get to blessed are those who do the right thing, begins here. What's your motive? What's going on in your heart? You know, reformation of the heart is where it begins. Jesus says, you know, you clean the outside of the cup. Man, you've got to clean the inside. Clean the inside, you get the outside. Got to clean the heart. And then blessed are the peacemakers. Making peace, being a person of reconciliation, continuing that journey, affecting your community. So important to your own journey is to try and make peace with those around you. AA, for example, out of their 12 steps, three of them have to do with making peace with those lives you've messed up because that's so important. If we're going to be filled with doing the right things, it has to be about other people as well. And so that brings us to blessed are the persecuted. Next slide. We're all connected. We're all connected. Our lives are all connected. We're all connected through this. Every cog here is connected. It used to be that there were six degrees of separation between you and anyone else on the planet. Today it's four degrees of separation. And when you make a change in your life, it affects those around you. When you begin to change, it begins to change other people. And not all of the changes you make are going to be well received. See, when... When you make a change and the people around you have been waiting for it, like my parents used to smoke when I was young, when they quit, I was, I was happy. I wasn't a smoker. I didn't like it. So when they quit, I'm like, good on you. That's a good thing. When the community is wanting you to make that change, thumbs up, things are good. But... Not all of the changes you want to make are going to be good. And when you begin to make your changes, you begin to affect other people around you. And what happens is when you begin to change, when you begin to grow and you begin to move away because you're becoming a different person and you're pursuing righteousness, they can no longer hold on to you. And out of love, they love you and they want you in their life. And because you are growing and moving away towards righteousness, they're rejected. No one likes rejection. And so this community of people that love you and care for you, they're going to want to pull you back. And that's a form of persecution. They're going to want to pull you back into line so that you have the values and the beliefs that the rest of us have. They do it out of love some of the time. Some of the time they do it because you make them feel bad. 
which is another form of persecution. Because your change threatens their change. When you begin to do things differently, you challenge how they feel about things. And they don't like that. They don't like that. And your change affects them. When you come to that place of being poor in spirit, you've just challenged them to be broken as well. When my parents quit smoking, it was for years. You know, one of them would quit, then they'd start again. The other one would quit, they'd start again. For years, it just went on like this. Because as soon as one quits, well, the other one's still smoking. And they're not particularly encouraging. They're not like, yay, you know, good on you. It's like they feel that, well, maybe I should quit too. And then, of course, the other one, because they're not in a good environment, they eventually start smoking again. Oh, that, well, that justifies me. And then the cycle continues. Take domestic violence. You have a situation where, as an example, you know, there's domestic violence in the home. The husband's beating the wife, and she eventually goes, enough. Well, at that point, you got a problem here. Because the guy, well, you know what? He's not ready to admit. You know, he's, he's not poor in spirit yet. And so what's he going to do? Go, wife, thank you for standing up to my abuse. I appreciate that. No, that's not what's going to happen. That's not what's going to happen. There's not going to be lovey-dovey feelings of that situation. She needs to get back in the line. There's going to be persecution. But you know, the opposite is also true as well. The moment the guy does become poor in spirit, and he's like, you know what? This isn't right. I want to, I want to move towards righteousness. I want to move towards being the kind of non-anxious person, a non-violent person that Jesus talks about. I want to move towards that kind of person. The whole household is around an environment of walking on eggshells and there is no trust. There is no belief that we've been through this cycle before. We don't believe that's really going to happen. And so the whole environment that this guy needs in order to change is just not going to be there. And the one thing he needs is for people to believe in him. So there's going to be a persecution of lack of trust, lack of belief. And should he relapse well, then he's in a world of trouble. We're persecuted when we change in our environments. Now, I could, I could talk about persecution in India or in Saudi Arabia or Indonesia or Malaysia, but I'm really talking about what does persecution look like for us here and now if we follow this path of the Beatitudes? The reality is persecution will come when you change. And if you know it, you can be ready for it. Because if you're not ready for it, there's a good chance that mercy is not going to kick in. When other people are persecuting you and that lack of mercy kicks in, that's just going to pull you back from your growth. Or when you're expecting people to behave in a way they're not, that's not going to happen. So Jesus says, you know, you're, you're blessed over here when you're persecuted. You're blessed. Be happy about it. Don't be happy that they're rejecting you. Don't be happy they're standing against you. But you know what? 
be happy that the persecution is happening because it's evidence that the change has happened. The evidence is there. When you commit to being the kind of person Jesus calls you to do, there is going to be change. Now, not all persecution is because of righteousness. Jesus does say, you're blessed if you're persecuted for righteousness, right? There's, there's a persecution you receive from the community because basically you're doing the wrong thing. And if you keep pushing the wrong thing, you end up in jail. That's not persecution. That's consequences for wrong behavior. But there is persecution for doing the right thing. And Jesus says, hold on to the blessing of that. Because there is a joy that is coming your way and it is good. The reality is if you cherish sexual integrity, you will challenge many people in your workplace, people in your home who want free sex. If you pursue self-control, then those people who want to control you are going to stand against you. Other control, rampant in our society. If you do that, if you hold on self-control, you're going to challenge people. But then we also have this final thing that Jesus says. Next slide. Well, that's the rejection one. Should have done that one. Reject. Next slide. Okay. So <laughs> here Jesus talks about the last, the very last one. This is kind of his summary. Blessed are you when you are persecuted because of me. You're persecuted when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Not because of you, not because you're a good person, but because of Jesus, what Jesus stands for. He says, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they, prosecute, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. One of the things that I found... Um, in my time in India, we were missionaries in India for a number of years. When we got there, um, the state that we were in was under a, um, uh, the BJP government. They actively persecute minorities. And so persecution had gone through the roof in that, uh, in that state. Um, about four years before we arrived, you could stand on the corner and, you know, pull out your tambourine and sing a few songs and preach Jesus and that would be okay. By the time we got there, if you so much as handed out a track, you would be arrested. It had, it had radically changed. And I remember one of the first training sessions I did where I encouraged the pastors just to walk through your community, praying for God's blessing on the community. And if you catch someone I try and start up a conversation and share the gospel. And they just looked at me and went, you can't do that. And for years, we were trying to wrestle with how do we do this? How do we, how do we get the gospel out widely to the community? And one of the things that as we went along, one in 10 pastors had physically been beaten up. And as we were going along and I'm meeting all these different pastors and chatting with them and hearing their story, and eventually I realized that those pastors that had actually been beaten up were on fire for Jesus. They were bold. They were like, if that's the worst you can give me, then I'm still in this. The other nine, 90% were scared. 
And I realized probably about six years into our time there that the fear of persecution stops people. Persecution doesn't. Persecution doesn't stop them. Unless they kill them, then it stops them, right? So if they don't kill them, they actually fire them up. But the fear of persecution holds people back. And so Jesus here is saying, you know what, guys? They persecuted other people and it's okay, but you're going to be blessed. But the promise Jesus gives really is rejoice and be glad. Great your reward in heaven. You may not feel particularly, you may lose out in this life. That There is a reality there. You may lose out in this life because of Jesus. But Jesus says, you know what? You're going to be joyful in the midst of that. But there is a reward in heaven coming. Don't give in to persecution. Modern Australia, persecution's reality. You're not going to get hidden ahead. Not likely. You may do. You preach the gospel boldly to people. You will. But for most of us, that's not going to happen. Persecution in Australia doesn't quite work that way. The way it works is next slide is like this. There is the guy uh, called Israel Falau. Anyone heard of this guy? He was an Australian rugby player. Like the Australian rugby player. Like if we have him and he's playing well, we win. If he's not, we lose. This guy is a hardcore Christian. He's a preacher on Sundays. This morning, he's preaching. And he hates, not hates, he dislikes. That's probably strong. His message is very much, don't be a lukewarm Christian, be full on for Jesus. His Instagram posts, one after the other, if you look at it, it's all about be committed to Jesus. Don't give in, don't be a a cowardly Christian, be a full-on Christian. His other message, which is very strong, is Jesus loves you. Jesus cares for you. Jesus wants you to be in in relationship with him. Very, very strong message as you look through his posts. And then, next slide, he posted this one. Uh, You know, warning, these people are going to hell. It's a meme of 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10 kind of says that. It doesn't say you're going to hell. It just says you don't get the kingdom of heaven. But the point is, is he got into a world of trouble over this one. Whole heap of trouble over this one. He got fired because of this one. He lost a contract worth $4 million over this one. He got a four-year contract, million dollars a year, wishing I took up rugby. $4 million contract, and he was offered $1 million to walk away. There's a million dollars, walk away, don't appeal it, we're all good. And he turned it down. And he turned it down because the message he's trying to make is God doesn't want you to go to hell. God doesn't want you to go to hell, he wants you in the kingdom. Next slide. He posted this one after, I hope this will provide some context, I'm a sinner too. Now, from a strategic perspective, he probably should have posted that one first. 
You could argue that. Uh, but you know, here's the thing. The first message, next slide, the first message that he posted up, oh, there is no next one. Um, I thought I put those two together. I didn't. The first one that he posted, if you knew the guy and you read it knowing who he was and who he is, you'd know that he actually is concerned for liars and cowards and homosexuals and fornicators. You would know that he loves people and that he doesn't want anything to stop people from entering the kingdom of God. That's his heart. Did they care about his heart? No. We live in a day and age where the agenda, particularly in this case the homosexual agenda, is so strong and so powerful. In Australian media, you cannot say anything against it without getting in trouble. It even turned up with Bill Shorten saying to Morrison, do you believe that people who commit homosexual acts go to hell? On the campaign trail, it was raised as an issue because that lobby is so strong. Knowing that, Israel Folau still posted it because, to be honest, he's just wanting to get the message out. Jesus loves you and Jesus wants you in the kingdom. He is prepared to offend people so they know about the love of Christ. And it got him fired and cost him $4 million. This is what happens. And it's not, you know, he just posted the meme. He didn't even give his opinion. He wasn't prosecuted because of what he believes. He wasn't sacked because he got up and said homosexuals are going to hell. No, he got sacked because he put up a meme that was of a quote of the Bible. That, that's why he got fired. Because that's what the Scriptures say. And people who misread the Scriptures come to the same conclusion, that they're missing the heart of Christ. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. He came to save the world. That's the message that the Scripture's talking about. That meme is supposed to be saying, God loves you. You know, if you're one of these people, know that God still loves you. But that wasn't heard. The reality is, if you get poor in spirit and you begin to follow Jesus and pursue his path, you will eventually become the kind of person that some people in our community will not like because you stand for Jesus. They will judge you because you stand with Jesus. Not because of who you are, not because you're a nice person, but they will judge you. To be fair, it's no different to what we did to homosexuals in the 60s and 70s. We said, you're despicable, God hates you because you're gay. That was a bad message in the 60s and 70s. We now have that message against us. You're bad and you're despicable because you're a Christian. If we're ever going to reclaim the name of Christ well, we have to demonstrate love to people, love our neighbours. But reality here, Jesus is making it really clear. Even if we do that, 
you're still going to get persecuted at some point for holding the name of Jesus. And when that happens, know that you have your reward in heaven. Hold on to that. You will be blessed. If you've never read the, the um, Fox's Book of Martyrs, it's, it's a depressing read on one level. Pe- lots of people die. But the interesting thing is when you read through that book, time and time again, you read that people are dying with an incredible joy. There are people that in the midst of being burnt alive are singing hymns. Stephen, when he's being stoned to death, is praying, Lord, bless them. Jesus, when he's being crucified, Father, forgive them. In China, there was a wave of conversions by people beating up the Christians because of the way the Christians responded in the midst of the persecution. They didn't retaliate. They just prayed for the the persecutors to be forgiven, to know God's love. There is a joy that comes in becoming like Jesus. It begins with being poor in spirit. So my encouragement to you today, wherever you are on that journey, be on that journey because there is blessing in it. Even in the midst of persecution, there will be joy.